let's hit chapter four up. Um, some good, this is really good narrative. And if I could remind you, church, that these things are actual and real history. Thousands of years ago, man, Samuel was on this planet and God was still working. <clears throat> All the way back then, these things happened. You can actually visit these places still and see them. Well, let's pray. And then we'll get into it. Jesus, we ask that you'd speak tonight. We thank you that you sent us the helper, the Holy Spirit, that you, Holy Spirit, will lead us into all truth. And I would ask for that, that as your word is exalted and as we sit underneath the authority of what you've written, <clears throat> that you would minister to your church and bolster us and strengthen us, encourage us, convict us. Whatever work you might have individually, we ask for it. <clears throat> Whatever work you have collectively as your body, here we are. And so we just want to submit. We want you to have your way. Thank you so much for the beauty of your word and how you've established it. And as we are going to dive in right away, um, your word is special. And so we hold fast to it. It's, it's our foundation. And so we thank you for that. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> it's been established. You can just look up verse 20 of chapter 3. You'll see that all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba, top to bottom, <clears throat> they recognize that. The Lord revealed himself to Samuel. You might remember the chapter 3. Here am I, Lord, or here I am, you know, and he'd go to Eli. And Chapter 4 starts it like this. The word of Samuel came to all of Israel. And Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped in, beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Aphek. The Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. When they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders said, Why has the Lord defeated us before the Philistines? Bring us the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. Let's pause for a second. The word of Samuel came to all of Israel. Now, that's an interesting way of putting it, isn't it? Now, thankfully, we've got verse 20. Well, I suppose you could say verse 20 or 19. <clears throat> so Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. That's important, isn't it? And let none of his words fall to the ground. We're going to see that Samuel's words are like God's words. And there's a, there's, this is important. <clears throat> all of Israel knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord, meaning he spoke forth for God. And so then when you read that the word of Samuel came to all of Israel, you can be like, okay, I can settle on that because it's not the word of Samuel, really, is it? It's the word of the Lord that he's speaking through. This is good, right? You guys would never in the million years want to read the word of Jordan came to all of Horizon, <laughs> right? I mean, it just, it would be, it wouldn't fill you up. I could probably be cute for a little while and I could probably say some cool things and like real trendy stuff. I don't know. I honestly probably couldn't <laughs> be real with you guys. <clears throat> I don't have any social media. I don't know what's going on. My friends text me the news. <laughs> like the guy, right, it was a conference we were in. I find out things through my wife and then friends. Anyway, you guys would be hungry. You guys would be desperate if all you got was the word of man. I don't think that's what's being mentioned here. This is the word of God. And so when Samuel spoke, they recognized it. <clears throat> it's a unique spot there that Samuel had. 
It's good if it's the word of God. You might ask, why do we teach chapter and verse? Because <laughs> you don't want to hear me talk. That's why you don't want to hear what I have to say. We'll apply it and we'll navigate through this and maybe see how God would apply this word to the church. But you guys just want his word. And here's the thing. <clears throat> Think of it for a second with the manna. Manna was God's provision. And we can talk about what kind of a type it was. It was real, by the way. But it did. It was a symbol, undoubtedly, and a foreshadow of, of Christ's ministry, perhaps even the word of God, what we have here. <clears throat> it was exactly what they needed. You understand that? Like it was exactly what Israel needed. It sustained them in every way possible. <clears throat> For 40 years, it sustained them. And there might have been something special in what Caleb and Joshua were eating because those guys were beasts all the way till they were 80, 90 years old. They were going hard. What'd they eat, you guys? They ate manna. <clears throat> it's exactly what they needed. Daily provision, right? But Israel eventually became sick of it. You guys remember these stories? Oh, how my soul loathes this worthless bread. If I could just have those garlics and the leeks and the onions and the fish, the cucumbers from Egypt. Oh, <clears throat> that longing for a little spice. <laughs> because the, the manna was, well, there's a description in the book of Numbers on manna. It was okay. It just wasn't spicy. Yeah, it was like coriander, right? <clears throat> anyway, God's word's everything we need. Here's the thing. You might get to a place where you, you're like, yeah, whatever. What else you got? Isn't that a scary spot to be in? I just want to warn you, <clears throat> we're going to read through God's word, and it's like, <clears throat> man, let it be enough. <laughs> as, as God's word is being read and, and no doubt taught through, you know, and we're going to go through it. But let it be enough. Let his word be enough. A couple scriptures to encourage you. <clears throat> this is Psalm 89, 34. It says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. It is a cool scripture that goes on beyond that. He will not break his covenant. The word that goes out, guess what? <clears throat> He's going to take care of it. If he says it, going to happen. 93.5 is good. You can check it out. Actually, the whole thing is phenomenal. It won't take long because it's a pretty short psalm. You can turn there in your Bibles if you want to highlight or underline it. It's a really beautiful psalm. Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. Isn't, that, isn't God's word awesome? For those of you who are born again, like that just should resonate. The Lord reigns. Isn't that good news? The Lord reigns. He's clothed with majesty. And just in case you're wondering, he is clothed. <laughs> he has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord is on high. I'm sorry, the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. And then notice what it says in verse 5. Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. Your testimonies, the things that you have spoken, God, they are very sure. <clears throat> That's why we hang out in God's word. 
There's nowhere else to be. The word of the Lord came to all of Israel. That's a good thing if it's God's word, (laughs) right? So let's just keep it simple. God's word. Isaiah 48, the grass, the grass, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Isn't that good news? Let's make that our foundation. That thing that lasts forever, let me make that our foundation. <clears throat> Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me void, but it will accomplish what I please and it will prosper in the thing for which I send it. Interesting context there in the nation of Israel being judged for their sin. And God's word was, Babylon's coming. Get ready, Israel. And it accomplished exactly what it was going to. You can be sure about that because when you apply these things to New Testament truths, to what Jesus has said, to the beauty of God's word after the cross, man, it's incredible. It's the same God. Nothing's changed. We just have more, more clear revelation now. We can rejoice in that. The word of the Lord came to Israel. <clears throat> Praise God that it was the word of God. And Israel went out to battle. As you can see, we've read it already. Interestingly enough, you might remember in chapter 3 that God spoke to Samuel and said, this is going to happen. Your, uh, your sons are going to die. Like I'm not going to let you have a dude on the throne or on, as a priest for, forever. Like Eventually, you're going to be cut off because you despised me. What do you mean you despised him? Well, he didn't restrain his sons. Whatever happened, don't know the details, but whatever it was, he said, no, my sons, you guys kind of do your thing. God, I'm sorry about that, but we're just going to do our thing. And God's like, no, we're done. He takes it serious. And he said that your two sons are going to die in the same day. And Eli said, hey, it's the Lord, let it be, you know, type of thing. Maybe a chance to repent. I don't know. We're going to talk a little about repentance. Like, where was repentance at in Eli's heart? You don't see it. I'm not suggesting, perhaps it was there. You just don't read about it, you know what I mean? Let's look at verse 4. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring there the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. The two sons of Eli, Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark and the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel shouted so loudly that the earth had... Now when the the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Now, interestingly enough, they had an understanding. You guys tracking with me? You read it. They knew something. They had it right there initially. The Lord has come into camp. Now, just in case you want to geek out on it, that's that's like the Tetragrammatron, the the name of God, Yahweh. Uh, We don't exactly know. It's what they would write. And so it seems as though they understood. They knew the name of God. One, One God. We'll talk about that. One God. But then you'll notice... These are the hands, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? It's like, well, they, were, they just didn't really know God, did they? They heard about him, but they didn't really know him. And his reputation had gone before. They remembered, interestingly enough, we're, you know, we're like 
hundreds of years past this. The judges have taken place. Joshua's taken place. Judges. All of that time has, has transpired, and they're talking about the time when God delivered them out of the hand of Egypt. Like, those are stories that are being told in Philistine, right? Their territory. In Gath and Ekron, all these other places, they're telling the story. Did you guys hear about what this God did to the nation of Egypt? Wow, that's crazy. I've never heard of anything like that. Red Sea, all these plagues, the sons died, and all these things. <clears throat> they somehow equated the ark of God with God's presence. There's an appropriateness to that, and I believe that's maybe what Israel was trying to do. But they're all missing it. They're all missing it. This has never happened to us, he says. Now, verse 9, I can appreciate. I don't know if this resonates with you guys out there, but <clears throat> they say, Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. It's like, all right, Philistines, I respect that. That's pretty cool. Like, pull yourselves together. They're obviously excited, but we need to get it because I don't want to serve the Israelites. But in this verse, do you guys read that? <clears throat> the Israelites are serving the Philistines. That's not how it's supposed to be. Not how it's supposed to be. They were to have victory over this. Why don't they have victory over it? Because they won't obey. They just won't stay close to the, to the Lord. The things that he said, the, the patterns that he laid out before them, they haven't done it at all. And they are slaves to the Philistines. <clears throat> so the Philistines fought. Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas died. <clears throat> you guys have heard this time and again. God said that Eli's sons are going to die. But here you see the cost of disobedience, I guarantee you, was way steeper than what they thought they'd ever have to pay. What was the cost of disobedience? <clears throat> Israel was defeated. The first battle, they lost 4,000. Here they lost 30. The ark is gone. And Eli's sons are dead. Which, that, that, that's what they said. Only one of the things that happened were, were prophesied by God. <clears throat> And you get into this difficult thing that I've been in. I've struggled. I've battled through it where you can justify your sin. And you almost weigh it. Like, well, if I do it, like, it's not that big of a deal. And it's like you justify it and you weigh it. But you're using your own st stupid intellect to think through these things. And you just think that's going to be the consequence. That's all. I can just weigh this out. It's not that bad. And you're weighing it out. <clears throat> but the cost of disobedience is way higher than what you could ever imagine. Sin will always. You guys have heard this take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Always. And guys, I will admit to you that I have been deceived at times. And I've found this to be true. It's a bummer of a thing to know to be true. <clears throat> I'm just being transparent for you. It'll take you further than you want to go. Isn't that the truth? <clears throat> Years and in ministry <clears throat> and, you know, and doing youth ministry and working with young people and watching what happens to <clears throat> young minds that are captivated by pornography and seeing where it goes. And there are things that people get themselves into <clears throat> that you think, how on earth do you get there? No one wakes up 
one day and says, I want to go there and do that. <clears throat> it's that slow fade, isn't it? Where you just eventually you end up at this spot and it's like, how did I get there? Well, here's why. The cost of disobedience is high. It'll take you further than you want to go. Here's what's up. You look at this. I, I know that this isn't necessarily scripture, but I believe these are principles that you can pull out of scripture and see that they're true. <clears throat> we're, we're reading about it right now. Eli's sons die. Yeah, they weren't that great anyway. Who cares? Man, but the cost of disobedience is serious. Not only did Israel, did Eli's two sons die, 34,000 men are no longer going home. Those are wives that are now widows. Those are kids that don't have dads. It's serious stuff. Think about that for a second. We're watching what's happening in Israel and, and like crying out, God, intervene, you know? <clears throat> Thinking about the thousands of people who have passed away and all the tragedies that are going on. And it's like, dude, we're talking 34,000 soldiers. That's a lot. That's a lot of homes. That's a lot of widows. That's a big burden. Why? 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 They wouldn't obey. <clears throat> Toss up that first map. <clears throat> just for fun. This is what Israel had, right? This is what God allotted to them. They never fully realized this because they wouldn't obey. And then you can go to the next one real quick. They're, these are just, again, for fun. This is the kingdom of David and Solomon. This is like kind of the best that it was, you know, as far as its political uh, power and so on. <clears throat> this isn't what it looked like Right now, I just couldn't find a good map of like, where was Israel right here in the book of Samuel? And they had their certain places, but the Philistines came and went as they pleased. From what I understand, the Philistines were the first to develop iron in this region. That, that technology came from Greece, which I guess is where the Philistines had come from. They had migrated from Greece and sailed over and were hanging out there in kind of the Gaza area. <clears throat> This was a really bleak time in Israel's history. Things weren't going very well. What about the ark, though? We'll pause for just a second. What about this ark? Why'd they bring the ark? And I think this is a really good picture of just what religion is. That they had totally missed the heart of God. Did the ark represent God's presence? Yeah, absolutely. You might remember the ark would go before them and there would be a pillar of fire and cloud. <clears throat> when Moses would meet with God in the tabernacle, God would be, be there. He, his presence would ascend. That was a place that he had established for them to meet, for God and Moses to meet. And Joshua could see that from afar. <clears throat> the ark became dusty. It was about a relationship with God, and the ark was that which represented something real in heaven, right? It's religion. Interestingly enough, there's a parallel to this. Go to Acts chapter 19. We'll be in this on Sunday, and I'll, I will expound a, a little bit further, but I want you guys to see a really neat connection on what religion looks like, and the best religion can do for you <clears throat> is give you a shadow. Israel had long since jettisoned God from their existence, and they had entertained other gods. They had gone after the Molex and the Astros. They put past their sons through the fire. They did some jacked up stuff. Long since, the ark was just a box at this point in time. And they were putting their trust in it. They thought that, oh, it's just a box. If we take the box, we'll go and we'll have it. 
but they didn't realize that they had kicked God out altogether. <clears throat> and even though it was just a box, God wasn't with them. They could have had 500 arks. It wouldn't have mattered. In Acts chapter 19, you see the same thing happening here. In verse 13, look at it. Then some Jewish, sorry, then some itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, this is what they would say, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. <clears throat> There's a good picture of religion. I don't know who Jesus is, but I'm going to give it a shot and I'm going to try this or that. It's like morality, isn't it? Where you kind of use this and we use the Bible's morality and we try to be a good person, but it's all devoid of Jesus. And we just take this little box that God gives us, we'll call it morality, and we just said, that's our thing. I've got that. I'm going to carry it around wherever I go and I'm going to be a moral person and it's going to be awesome. But you realize that it's nothing apart from God. That the presence of God and God himself is what made the box special. And they had just disdained him. And they don't realize that it's a relationship with Jesus that matters here. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating, like, Greek structure in what the evil spirit says. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to make you show up on Sunday or listen in. But it's absolutely amazing. <laughs> it's so cool. Okay, back to Samuel. Jesus said, we might, go, we might hit this up again just to be honest with you, but Matthew 7, 23, you guys know it, we've done it a lot, and I will declare to them, to who? To those who said, hey, I cast out demons in your name, Jesus. I walked around and said, I cast you out in, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. I've done that. I've raised people from the dead in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What was the issue? They didn't know him. It was just religion. It was just like saying, hey, let's take the ark and let's go see. That's what we need. We need the ark. <clears throat> I need that prayer. Let's just pray that special prayer. If your heart's not in with the Lord, what's that? It's just words. It's just a box. It's just morality. It's just this. It's just that. Jesus is what makes it actually alive because he is alive. He is that one. You guys know all these things, but you can apply it to your lives and you can think, where am I toting around this box? Is there a practice that you have in your life that is just that? It's just, well, if I do this, then God will be pleased with me. No, man, that's religion. And we're going to talk about it. It gets real serious here at the very end. <clears throat> we're going to go to chapter 6 by the grace of God. Repent. What do they need? They did not need the ark of God. They needed to repent. That's what they needed to do. <clears throat> go to Psalm 51, and we'll hit this up really fast, and then we're going to move a little bit more quickly, okay? I just want you guys to consider this and just know I'm preaching to myself. Psalm 51, 16, 17. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I'd give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. The nation of Israel should have got on their face and said, we've sinned against you. God, forgive us. Instead, they said, hey, go get the box. Go get the ark and then we'll be okay. Nope. Didn't work that way, did it? Joel, man, I just, these are some serious scriptures, and I hope that as they wash over you, the Lord can speak to you as he has to me and bring conviction. It says, now therefore, says Joel 2, 12 and 13, now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart. Let that be a prayer tonight. With fasting, with weeping, with mourning, rend your heart and not your garments. Isn't that such a powerful statement? What does God want? He wants your heart, doesn't he? He cares about you. It's got, that's kind of where you are. We had a really good teaching at the pastor's conference. What is the spirit? 
What is the body? What is the mind or the heart, the soul? And we just discuss that. <clears throat> what does he want? He wants you. When you see, turn to me with all your heart. Yes, of course, that's your emotions. But where are your emotions and your will and your desires? It's you. That's who you are. He wants you. Return to the Lord for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in kindness, and he relents from doing harm. He's so good, isn't he? And gracious and patient. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God? Today it might be one of those things like in Galatians where what you began in the spirit, you're now perfecting in the flesh. And we've got to be so careful of that. And I hope that's a word for you guys to consider and to think through. I do not want to continue. I don't want to go and perfect things. What happens when you perfect things in the flesh? Just really fast. That means that you just begin doing it. I think that the nation of Israel was trying to perfect in the flesh. They were just taking that symbol of God and saying, hey, if I have this, am I good, God? If I have, And it's like, no, it's nothing. It's just a, It literally was just a box at the point in time. What we're going to find out, <laughs> as I say that, is it was more than a box. <laughs> but for Israel, it was just a box. Without the presence of God, without a real relationship with Jesus Christ, what do you have? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. <clears throat> okay. Verse 12. Then a man named Benjamin ran from the battle line. Clothes were all dirty and stuff. And he was saying, hey, Eli. <clears throat> He came to him. You'll notice Eli was sitting on a seat by the wayside watching. His heart trembled for the ark of God like he knew something was going to happen, didn't he? And when the man came into the city and he told all the city, he heard the outcry. Eli heard it. Hey, what's the meaning of this? <clears throat> notice in 15, Eli was 98 years old. His eyes were so dim or fixed he couldn't see. The man said to Eli, I came from the battle. Well, what happened? Israel has fled before the Philistines. This is verse 17. And there has been a very great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. It happened when he made mention of the ark of God. I imagine his heart was already ready for whatever was to come as far as his sons. Remember, sin will always take you further than you wanted to go. Then he heard the ark of God had been captured. He fell off his seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel for 40 years. <clears throat> Remember how he would do those things, or he'd grab hold of that meat and just take, and they would just eat themselves and eat themselves. You'll just see it here. Just that, that's part of what killed him. He keeled over when he heard about this, and he was dead. And one day, hey, that, God didn't mention that, did he? I didn't see that. I didn't plan for that, God. I thought you just said this was going to happen. No, man. Israel was defeated. The ark was taken. Hophni and Phinehas were dead. And guess who else paid the price, man? Eli, man, his wife, yeah. Hard stuff. And then we get to, well, we'll just keep going. Okay, 19. Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child due to be delivered. And when she had heard the news, the ark of God was captured. And her father-in-law and her husband were dead. Golly, that's a rough day. <clears throat> it is, right? That's a rough day. She bowed herself and gave birth, and her labor pains came upon her. About the time of her death, the women who stood by her said, Don't, Do not fear, you have borne a son. She did not answer or regard it. She named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured and because her father-in-law and her husband. And so she said, The glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. This is a sad commentary of someone who's lost sight of God and how he works. God's hand had been removed 
so to speak, from Israel. And he is allowing them uh, to experience exactly what happens when you don't want God around. <clears throat> the beautiful part of this is that God was very near and he was very present. And he was at work and all the while he is at work. <clears throat> she couldn't see it. Her eyes were fixed on those circumstances and not in the character or the nature of God. You know what she forgot? She forgot the promises of God, didn't she? Remember how his word is sure and how when he says something, it's truth. <clears throat> if she could have remembered that, this guy would have had a way better name. <laughs> but she forgot. And the poor dude had to walk around forever with that name. They might have shortened it to Ica, <clears throat> which is way better. Or Bod. It's important to note that God's presence was always there. Uh, he promised them that. And I don't, we might hit this up at the end. <clears throat> and so I'll move very quickly. <clears throat> but in Exodus 23, God made it clear that I will send my angel before you. Specifically in regards to like the, the weeding out of the nations of Canaan. <clears throat> and what God said was just listen to him, obey him. He'll take care of everything. And they didn't. And so here they are. Just pause for a second and imagine the tragedy that has come across Israel. This is maybe one of the lowest moments of Israel's history. Certainly up until now. The ark is gone. Spiritual leaders are all dead. <clears throat> Huge loss in battle. This is bleak. But God, okay? You guys with me? <clears throat> but God, look at chapter 5. This is a little short chapter, but it's a really fun chapter into the majesty, the power, and sovereignty of God. God's going to flex on Dagon. All right. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. There were five major cities. We'll get to that in a second. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Dagon was like an old-time Poseidon. He was like this big, strong dude up top, and then he had this like fin underneath of him. It was weird. All kinds of weird worship stuff would go on with him. <clears throat> he was the god of the Philistines, the god of other places. Sometimes nations would trade gods, and they would become others. Molech might be the god of the Philistines at some point in time, or Baal, or whatever it would be. Right now, it's Dagon. That's who they worshipped. <clears throat> and in battle, apparently how it goes, what I read at least, if... Philistines beat Israel, that means that Dagon beat God, right? And so they're going to go and they're going to put the ark that's there and kind of, it's almost like, aha, guess who won type of thing. Oh, but God is so good. <clears throat> he is the living God, right? So we got the ark of God, which is not God, right? It's a symbol. It's a repre it, it represents heaven where God is. But it's not God. Dagon was their God, this thing that sat there. The ark just represented, it was a picture into heaven is what it was. And we're going to look at that in a second. <clears throat> when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of God. So they took Dagon and set it back in its place. Can you imagine having to take your God and pick him up and set him upright? That your God needed help to walk, your God needed help to move. Like, what kind of a God is that? You know what I'm saying? What kind of a God is that? Uh, they did, it didn't click for them, though, right? It's just not how they worked. And I had a beautiful, there was a beautiful, I can't remember who was doing it. It was Dave Love or Sam, I don't know who it was. But he was talking about the Corinthian church. Who was, you guys remember who was doing that? About the gifts of the Spirit. Was that Sandy? 
He was just sharing how for the Corinthians and the Ephesians and all of those, they had these gods that they could see, but the gods couldn't talk. But now that they're born again, they had a God they couldn't see, but would talk and could move. And that was powerful. And they were like messing all the things up, the Corinthians. They were like, God can speak. And so here I am. I'm going to do this crazy stuff. And Paul's like, slow down a second. I love that you're so excited about the things of the spirit. God can speak. How cool is that? You guys are used to these little things you carry around in your pocket that can't speak. God could speak. We don't have a God you have to stand up when he falls down, right? No, how cool is that? But hold fast to that because that's just not what religion is. We have a relationship with the living God. I know you know this, but just see the contrast. And it's like you can think, and I, can I list out all the ways we have idols in our own lives? I, don't, I just don't want to go through it right now. When they arose early the next morning... Verse 4, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of God. And notice this time, the head of Dagon and the, both of its palms were broken off at the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Isn't that crazy? So there's like, I don't know if you can just imagine this. I think it's funny. God's up in heaven and he's just like chuckling. <laughs> you know, just look at this. And he kind of does that. Dagon falls and, and they set him up again and all these guys are like, well, man, what happened to Dagon? And, and so then God just flicks him again and his head pops off. His hands, his hands are broken. Just Dagon. What is Dagon, right? <laughs> what is Dagon? He's nothing. He's just a, that's a good, that's a solid dad joke. That's solid. I respect that. I respect that. So. <clears throat> You'll notice that the commentator says the priests of Dagon, they don't go into the house so they don't tread on the threshold, right? Little just tidbit in case you were wondering how the priests of Dagon acted. They don't, they, they step over the threshold. They won't step on it because Dagon's, you know, head fell on it. Now notice what happens. Uh, it, the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and his territory. Um, this is when it gets kind of gross, to be honest with you. Remember this though, that God is God. A couple of scriptures, man, just to drive it home. This is Deuteronomy 439. Therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven and on earth beneath, and there is no other. Isaiah 44, 45, 46, repeat, there is no other, there is no other, there is no other. There's one God. You guys believe that? I know it, but hold fast to it. <clears throat> there is one God. Okay, what's going on here with these things? If you read the King James, it's emrods and it's mounds. I don't want to go into the details. If you guys know or have studied this before, it gets a little weird <clears throat> what these things could have been. Some people think it was tumors, which is what we have translated in New King James at least. <clears throat> King James was emrods. Um, you, some people maybe think that it was the bubonic plague because you had rats as well, and so there were these sores that were coming up. It's possible, it certainly is, um, but it's likely and thought that there were like, there were mounds in very sensitive areas, and so God messed them up. And there's a whole thing to it, there's a whole worship of Dagon and how they practice things and their kind of promiscuity and the way they did stuff where God's like, nah. He judged them, he was a judgment. Wherever the ark of God was, you see that he ravaged them and struck them. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, the ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh toward us, and Dagon, our God, is Yahweh versus Dagon. 
Therefore they sent and gathered themselves to the lords of the Philistines and said, what are we going to do with the ark of God? And they answered, let the ark of God be carried away to Israel. I'm sorry, ark of God of Israel be carried to Gath. So they carry the ark of God uh, of Israel. Wait, check it out real quick. The ark of God is in Ashdod. And everybody breaks out in these tumors or these hemorrhoids or some, okay? And everybody's going to the pharmacy to get preparation H. It's sold out. <clears throat> and they're like, this is not good. So misery. And they're like, we have got to get rid of this thing. <clears throat> and just like, I feel like this is like a family or something. Or like your friend, you're like, man, this isn't working. And so like, well, let's give it to Gath. <laughs> and so they take it. They're on the same team. Like um, Ashdod and Gath, they're on the same team. And they're like, man, our life is awful and miserable because of this. Let's give it to them, our, our friends down the road, right? And so they gathered and said, go to Gath. So it was, they carried it away, and the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great. And then look, tumors broke out on them. Same exact thing happens. Well, therefore, they sent the ark of God to Ekron. And so you can just envision all this crowd of people like, no, don't bring it here. Send it to Ekron now. Get it out of here. Hey, check it out real fast. Um, you remember who was from Gath? Goliath. Goliath was from Gath. Now, I don't know <clears throat> if he's alive at this point in time. It's possible that he, maybe he is. It depends on when we get to chapter six, you'll see some interesting stuff with the time. <clears throat> Hard to know. Hey, but check this out. Goliath's dad's there. Just think about that for a second. At the very least, Goliath's dad is in Gath, <clears throat> and he had some tumors. Okay? Like, he had that. That happened to Goliath's dad. Goliath's dad probably, if, if un, unless Goliath was there at, the, there at the time, would have shared these stories with Goliath. And so, and probably without detail, right? But he would have shared the time that the nation or the ark of God was there in Gath and then like they were they got messed up because of it and then you think you know then Goliath standing before the nation of Israel like he or his dad I must admit would have experienced God's wrath already <clears throat> and just not repenting not recognizing that God is greater you're going to see a really interesting technique that they're going to use here they sent the ark of God to Ekron notice how they respond this is probably how we would all respond and so it was, the ark of God came to Ekron. The Ekronites cried out and said, they brought the ark of God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. They're all Philistines. They sent and gathered to all the lords of the Philistines and said, send this thing away. Let it go back to its own place so it doesn't kill us and our people. For there was a very deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. And the men who didn't die were stricken with tumors and the cry of the city went up to the heaven. You were lucky <clears throat> to have these tumors because you didn't die. That's how bad it was. So they just, I remember we started out with this is real history, like this actually happened. And so you could just have to think for a second, if this happened in your small town, I, I grew up in Darlington, Indiana. It's a little suburb of Crawfordsville. <clears throat> and if we're there and this thing comes and like a lot of people die in your town. Imagine that, like people are dead now. And I am absolutely miserable. I can't walk anywhere. I can't do anything because of just stuff. <clears throat> like, this is rough. This actually happened, just so you know. Like, people were heartbroken. <clears throat> Lives were devastated, just to be clear, <clears throat> because God's judging them. 
And it's hard. It's real. It actually happened. It was serious. <clears throat> A little bit funny, but it was serious, okay? Now, first chapter 6, okay? You guys tracking with me? We're rolling through here. This will be fun. We're going to... A lot of narrative. But, oh my gosh, we got to get to the end because <clears throat> it's powerful. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months. They were trying to figure this out. The Philistines called for the priests and the diviners saying... What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. And so they said, If you send away the ark of God of Israel, don't send it out empty, but by all means return it to him with a trespass offering. Then you will be healed, and, you will, and it will be known to you why his hand <clears throat> is not removed from you. Then they said, What's the trespass offering which we shall return? And they answered and said, and this is, I'm wondering why it's not a jewelry line, right? Like five golden tumors, who wouldn't want to wear that on their ears? Five golden rats, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you <clears throat> and on your lords. This is what they were figuring. If you're going to send the ark back, you've got to send an off, like a trespass offering. <laughs> what? A, what? In a, this is weird, isn't it? It really is weird. Therefore, you shall make these images of your tumors and the images of your rats that ravage the land. <laughs> and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Fascinating sentence. Because they wouldn't. And they didn't bow down their knee to the God of Israel. They might have admitted a momentary defeat. Dagon's broken. They had to get the super glue out and put him back together. But now they're, washed. they're worshiping him now. They're trying to figure out, like, what in the world do we do with this? Clearly, there's power here. Israel didn't experience that power, but God will represent himself. He can defend himself, right? And he does. And so here he is defending himself. And, and even these heathen recognize that there's the God of Israel is deserving of glory. And if we do this, if we send something back to them, maybe he'll lighten his hand from you and from, our God, from your gods and from your land, <clears throat> which he did. Why then do you harden your hearts? Notice this, as the Egyptians and the Pharaohs hardened their hearts when he did mighty things among them. Did they let the people go that they might depart? Now therefore make a new cart, take two milk cows and have never been yoked and hitch the carts, cows to the carts. Take their calves away, a home away from them. Then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart and put the articles of gold which you have returned, which you're returning to him as a trespass offering in a chest by its side and send it away and let it go. <clears throat> And this is when it becomes interesting, because up till now, if you studied this, you don't have time to go into all the details of it. it the diviners and the sorcerers and those that they had, the priests, it's like they're almost from a different country. They, they keep saying, like, you know, you guys and you're like your gods. <clears throat> and now we get this really interesting thing. And again, it's Dagon versus God this whole way through. God will win and says, watch. And if it goes up on the road to its own territory, I believe it's somewhere around 15 miles, kind of along the coast, it seems to Beth Shemesh, then he's done this great evil. But if not, then we'll know that his hand wasn't that struck us and it happened to us by chance. Here's what they said, just to kind of clarify it. They took two cows that have never been yoked before, have never pulled a cart. They took their calves away from them and put them away. <clears throat> and then they set it on the road and said, okay, if the cart, the cows go 15 miles up this road <clears throat> and they'll end up... <clears throat> In this particular city, then we'll know that this was God. But if it doesn't happen that way, then it was just by chance, right? <clears throat> what are the odds, you think, that two cows would walk for 15 miles to the exact city that you wanted to go to? 
It's like they're sitting there as lords. They're still trying to defend Dagon. Like, oh, our God's better. Like, this maybe even isn't the God of Israel. It's just a coincidence that every single city we go to, these things flare up and people die. <clears throat> it's just a coincidence. Just a, It's like this pathetic refusal to just submit. And, like, life gets harder and harder. And it's like, when will you just bow your knee? When will you stop rebelling? When will you stop doing these things? Like, what... When will you realize that God is God and he owns it all? It's like for Paul, when God said, when will you stop kicking against the goads? Like, what's going on, man? Stop. That's what we're seeing here. A refusal to acknowledge God as God. <clears throat> well, the cart ends up making its way up to Beth Shemesh. And those guys grab it. The cows were loaming as they went. The people of Beth Shemesh, I'm in chapter, or verse 13. They were reaping. They saw it. They lifted their eyes. They rejoiced to see the ark of God. It's been a long time since they've had it. <clears throat> 14, the ark came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stood still, uh, stood there. And a large stone was there. And so they split the wood and they offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the, of the Lord and the chest that was with it. And there were articles of gold. <clears throat> put them on the large stone. Then the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices that same day to the Lord. It was an act of celebration and, and thankfulness. <clears throat> when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron that very same day. These are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned, a trespass offering, Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. And the golden rats, according to this number, the articles of the Philistines belonging to the five lords. The fortified cities, the country, villages, even as far as the large stone of Abel, which they set the Ark of the Lord. <clears throat> it actually, he's, there's commentators saying, it stays, to the, it remains to this very day in the field of Joshua in Beth Shemesh. Okay, what ends up happening here? You guys remember, all right, this, throw that one, Brett, throw that first picture up there. You guys remember this amazing scene? Anybody know what it's from? Raiders of the Lost Ark. All right, keep this. Vi All right, hold up. Stay with me for a second. 19. Then he struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people. The people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a very great slaughter. <clears throat> you might remember, go to the next one, because this is exactly what happened in Beth Shemesh, I'm sure. You see Indiana Jones, and I think it's Miriam up there on the left, and then that, the power, the lights going throughout there. Like, I don't know if, like, this was my first encounter with the Ark of God probably when I was growing up, to be honest with you. This is what it was. It's not correct, just so we're clear, okay? It's just, it's just funny, so just laugh. But you see the power of God going through because they looked in there, and this is a beautiful picture. I am excited for this. This is what I've been waiting for this whole night. <clears throat> but two of them knew. Somehow Indiana Jones and Miriam knew. He said, don't look in. Do the next picture. They're standing up there. The fire's going around. And they're like, don't look at the thing, right? And they're like, all the fire's enveloping them. And this is happening to them. So what happened here in, in uh, 19. You thought uh, there was an ingenuity in Hollywood. Like, they just took it straight from the script. They looked in there. What happened? Why did this occur? And why did God bring this plague upon them. You, you can put the picture away. Listen to this. The men of Beth Shemesh said, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And then it's like, oh man, that's a good question, isn't it? That's a good question. 
Hey, Dagon couldn't stand before God, could he? False gods are nothing. These Levites and holy people are nothing. Who? What a neat question. <clears throat> Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall it go up from us? Well, hey, we've got some good news today, don't we? I've got good news to share with you guys. <clears throat> a couple thoughts. Ezra 9.15, O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we are left as a remnant as it is this day. Here we are before you in our guilt, though no one can stand before you because of this. Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? Go to Psalm 24. Turn over to there. Another question is asked here. <clears throat> David's asking this question. He starts out in Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. It says, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? Pause, don't read ahead. It's a good question, isn't it? <clears throat> Why did God judge them? Interestingly enough, and I have to admit, I was listening to Joe Foch, and he illuminated this, and, and we're going to like dig into it a little bit more. <clears throat> hey, show that picture, Brett, of the ark. Okay, there's the ark. You have on top of the ark the mercy seat. All right? Now, <clears throat> David asked the question, who may stand in his holy place? The men of Beth Shemesh, who can stand before this holy Lord God? And the answer at this point in time is nobody. You can read on in Psalm 24. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted his soul to an idol. I don't know about you, but I am disqualified. And I think if you're honest with yourself, <clears throat> every single one of you are disqualified. The good news is coming. <laughs> We've got Jesus. Okay, I'm going to get to it. It's going to be fun. <clears throat> if you don't mind... Turn to Exodus 24, okay? So if you're taking notes, maybe this will be a fun study you can do or maybe give or share this with some friends because they're just dying to know about the ark and mercy seat, I guess. I'm thinking I meant to say Exodus 25, sorry. Exodus 25, starting in verse 17. I'll just read a couple of verses. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, and a cubit and a half will be its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work. You shall make them at the ends of the mercy seat. One cherubim, one end, one on the other, and their wings are going to touch. And this is what would be there in the, in the tabernacle at the time, eventually the temple. The mercy seat. <clears throat> it's the Hebrew kaporet. And it literally means the place of propitiation. Or once a year, the priest, high priest would go in and, and sprinkle blood. Blood would, would satisfy God's wrath and make atonement for the nation of Israel. And what happened here in Beth is they looked inside. Well, what's the problem with that? <clears throat> go to Hebrews chapter 9 and let's see what happened. We get a little insight as far as the contents of this wonderful representation of, man, the Lord. <clears throat> so, you guys, there is so, <laughs> this is deep. And you could spend probably weeks and months studying this very topic right here. The mercy seat of God. <clears throat> Answering the question, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? 
What will you do when you die? Can you stand before a holy God? Can you stand before a holy God? Now, hey, I'm preaching to the choir. I understand that. And we, those of you who are in Christ, I'm giving it all away, you can rejoice. But it's a good question to ask, okay? And I just want you to like, just see the beauty of God. Who can stand before a holy God? Why can't I look inside the ark? All right, let's look. Hebrews chapter 9, <clears throat> real quick. Uh, man, let's just start in verse 1. It's just all so good, and we're jumping in to some of the real deep, meaty things of scriptures. But then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and earthly sanctuary, for a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which the lamp stand the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, there was a tabern of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all which the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which the golden pot of manna, Aaron's rod, and the tablets of the covenant. So we got some stuff inside the Ark, right? There were three things inside of it, as far as Hebrews is telling us here. The manna, remembrance of God's provision, Aaron's rod. And then you've got the covenant. <clears throat> when the Levites and the people took the mercy seat and moved it, what was staring right at them? the law and they couldn't do it it's this mirror staring right at you that you failed you can never measure up to God's standard who can stand before a holy Lord God the answer is no one no one can when you remove the mercy seat all you have there is the law and you're in trouble then you're in trouble but we've got good news <clears throat> okay Go to Romans chapter 3. And I'm, I actually am nearly finished, okay? My hope is <clears throat> that you, you come away from this just in awe of the mercy and the grace of God that we find in the person of Jesus Christ. If you might remember, this whole thing started with a bunch of people who were walking around in religion, not in a relationship with God. And they thought this thing was just cool. <clears throat> no, nah, man, you need Jesus. And you are to know him and enjoy him. If I remove the mercy of God, I'm confronted with the law. And I'm going to lose. The beauty of God's mercy seat. In the Septuagint, it's translated in various ways. But the same word in the Septuagint for that particular thing, the mercy seat, is what we find today here in Romans chapter 3. Starting in verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who can stand before the Holy Lord God? Nobody. We're reading it again. But being justified freely by his grace, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, praise God, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Jesus is that mercy seat for us. He is that. He is that thing that I can never take and remove. If you remove that, you've got nothing but the law and you don't match up. You're in trouble. But we have this Jesus as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance of God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness. That's important. Who can stand before a holy God? Only those who are pure in heart, whose hands are clean. <clears throat> I'm in trouble, man. I was in trouble. I can't say that now. I have one who has gone before me, <laughs> and he's taking care of me. <clears throat> Go to 1 John chapter 2. 
We see the same word being used here, and I just want to open it up again so you guys can see it. Rejoice and know this. If you're struggling, I can't do this, I'm fighting and I'm failing. It's like, man, you guys go to the mercy seat. That's where Jesus is. Remember the work of the cross. Remember what Jesus has done. That's where your victory is. That's where you're going to find life. That's where you're going to find the beauty and the mercy of God. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. It was represented by this ark that was there. But I just want you to know this. If I take Jesus and move him out of the way, it's like, then what do I have? It's a mirror looking at me. Who can stand before a holy God? Not me. I need the mercy of God. Put the mercy seat back. The blood has been sprinkled. It's taken care of and it's done. You're free. 1 John chapter 2, verse, let's just do 1 and 2. I wish we could do the whole thing. But my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. Notice what it says again, the righteous. And he himself, isn't that incredible, you guys? He himself, not the teaching about him, but he himself, a person. Remember when he said, depart from me, I never knew you? He himself, it's a relationship, you guys is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the whole world's. He himself is a propitiation. John will say it again, in case you aren't paying attention. In chapter 4, verse 10, same word. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The wrath of God is satisfied. Who can stand before a holy God? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Hey, turn it, turn to Acts chapter 7. We're having fun, right? I'm going to get out of here. Don't worry. We're so close to the end. Go to Acts chapter 7. Leave, I'm sorry. I want to have time. No. But Acts chapter 7, who can stand before the holy God? This is so fun. Acts chapter 7, let's look at verse 55. But he, this is Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Who can stand before a holy God? Hey, Jesus can. And you know why that's good news? All right, I'm glad you asked that question too. Go to Colossians chapter three. And I just want you guys to just be bathed in the beauty of the work of the cross and the sweetness of redemption that we find in Jesus. And I want you to leave from this place fired up, but like resting in the beauty of what Christ has done, clinging to him grabbing hold of that mercy seat, never moving it, never thinking, I just want to know what it's like to work in the flesh. No, you don't. Leave the mercy seat there. Keep Jesus where he deserves, right there on the throne. Praise God that we have Jesus who can stand before a holy God. He is God, I know. Colossians 1 through 3, if you then were raised with Christ, seek the things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. He says, set your mind on things above not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden in him. Who can stand before a holy God? Jesus can. (laughs) Guess where you are? You're in him. Isn't that fun? You're in him. It's like he's covered you. And so then God sees Jesus when he looks at you and you're like, I did it. I made it. It wasn't me. It was God. I'm so thankful though. He's the one who's done it. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because you know that verse is so good. So let's go to it. And again, I'm thinking, oh, Lord, just bathe them with the truth of the gospel. You guys would be so thankful that there is one who has gone before us, who has made a way, who is allowing us to hide ourselves in him. I can't do it. I need God's mercy 
and I need God's grace, and we find all of it, every bit of it is found in the person of Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. Therefore, if, this is 2 Corinthians 5, 7, 17, 21. Therefore, if anybody is, notice the position, in Christ. He's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Check it out. All things have become new. But now all things are of God, who's reconciled us to himself, thank you, through Jesus Christ, and has given us a ministry of reconciliation. I mean, we got a job to do until Jesus comes back. That is, the, that Christ was in, sorry, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Notice where it is, in him. It's Jesus. We have something so precious. You guys know these things. <clears throat> Last two, okay? Go back to Colossians. <clears throat> because I want you to know, I want you to know what has happened to you every single morning that you wake up. This is you. <clears throat> so this is Colossians chapter 1, <clears throat> 21 through 23. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he's reconciled through the body of his flesh. That was the idea of propitiation. God is satisfied. His wrath is satisfied because of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, on the cross. Through the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in the sight of God. Who can stand before a holy God? Well, only those who have a pure heart and clean hands. Guess what? You are presented holy, blameless, and above reproach. Know this. That is a work of God because you are in Christ. He's done that. You hold fast to what? Not works, not maintaining salvation. No, you hold fast to the gospel. You hold fast to the hope of the gospel. It's Jesus. He's done it all. When you wake up tomorrow, guess what? Jesus is on the throat, and I run, and I dive inside of him, however that would look, and I would just, I just hunker down in him. It's him, his promises. Remember how his word is sure? It's his promises. Okay, <clears throat> did I say I had one more? Okay, I just don't want to surprise anybody. Last one is Jude. <clears throat> this is probably my favorite scripture in all of scripture. Jude, <clears throat> right before Revelation. <clears throat> Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? Man, those guys were in trouble. They removed the mercy seat. The law was there. They couldn't do it. Put the mercy seat back. You guys need Jesus. I need Jesus. Every day I wake up, and but recognize this, your position in Christ, holy, blameless, and above reproach. You have to hold fast to these truths because the enemy wants to rip them out and he wants to make you think things otherwise. But here's what Jesus does. Jude finishes this letter. <clears throat> Verse 24, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and notice what he does, this is Jesus, and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. What does Jesus do? He takes you and he presents you before the Father and says, look at this one, man, perfect, faultless. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He lives always to make intercession on our behalf. He's doing it right now. That's the hope we have in Christ. And so, so for those of you who are struggling and wrestling through, I'm not good enough, I'm not going to... Okay, listen, you retreat to Jesus and you cry out for him. Help me and save me. Help me to live out what you've already done, walking in the resources that Christ has given me. Help me to walk in it. Who is your help? Who is your savior? Jesus. Not religion, not morality, not rules, regulations. No, no, it's Jesus. 
Will there be ways to walk? You better believe it. Will he bring you under and discipline? Oh, come on, you know he will. Scripture tells us that. But it's Jesus. Retreat and run to him. He's the only hope we have. And then we'll finish to God our Savior, who alone is wise. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for what you've done. We're so undeserving. We remove that mercy. We see the law. It's over for us. It's hell. It's separation. But you've made a way, Jesus. Thank you. Everybody here knows that. Remind us again of your great mercy and grace that it would move our hearts in such a way that we would long to go share these things with other people who are broken and hurting. We need you, Jesus. Fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Help us to take this beautiful message of the gospel to a lost and dying world. Help us to remind us, Lord, every day we need to be reminded of the work that you have accomplished, that I'm no longer an object of your wrath, but I'm your son. I get to walk in the power of your spirit, that you present me faultless before the presence of his glory. Who can stand before the Lord Jesus? You can, and we're hidden in you. We're so thankful. Fill us up with that sweet knowledge of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.